Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. It was almost exactly three years ago that I found myself in a coffee shop in Beaumont, Texas. I was trying to lay out my schedule for the week and uh, was working on a few things, and I knew that I had staff meeting uh, back at the church not long after that, and so I was trying to maximize the time as best I could because it was going to be something of a week for me when my phone rang. Um, I saw that it was my son calling, and so I, I knew that he had been going through some pretty rough stuff, and so I answered the phone and said, uh, hey, bud, how's it going? And he said these words, Dad, I can't do it anymore. I'm getting out. I said, uh, what do you mean by that? He said, you know, I've been working at trying to make this marriage work, and I just can't do it anymore. And so, and he called his wife, his then wife by name, and she, he said, we've talked about it, and uh, we're going to get a divorce. Now, I knew enough of what was going on there to have tremendous pain for my son and my two-year-old granddaughter. It was her birthday. And, um, and for my now ex-daughter-in-law, I knew the pain of what was going on. I've been a pastor a long time. I've, I've seen the pain that stretches out from those kind of decisions. But also knew the pain that was going on before that. And so, just so you know, my response to my son at the end of the whole conversation was, uh, I understand, and I'm with you, and I'll support you through this in any way that I can. Churches don't always give that kind of support to people who are suffering through the throes of divorce. One of the things that I knew my son needed was a church family to help walk him through that time. He did not have that at, at the moment. And so one of the things I told him was, you need to find a church and you need to get involved in that church because uh, there's a long road of pain ahead for you. He went to a church, visited, and was, they, they didn't really deal with him from the divorce side of things, but when he went to church on a given day, he was underneath it all. And somebody walked up to him and said, uh, that's my chair. Or actually, our friend sat there, so would you mind moving? So he did. He moved to his car and drove away. I tell you that on the front end of it to let you know this sermon is personal for me. I, it, it's a personal point of reference for me. Because I saw, and even to this day, three years later, I still see the lingering pain that goes with the dissolving of a marriage. But his is not the only one I've seen. As a pastor, I've seen that many times. The reality is that for us, as 21st century citizens of the United States of America, divorce has touched every one of us in one way or another. If not personally, then through our children or through our parents or through our friends, through our neighbors, uh, it is a real thing. 
not only do I take this sermon personally, I think Jesus took this issue personally as well. I say that because of the text that we're in today, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 31 and 32 in just a few moments, but as we get to that, let me take just a moment to bring you up to date with where we are in this sermon or in this series. We're we're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus has already gone on record in chapter 5, verse 20 with the thesis of his entire sermon that says, and I'll put it in my terms, that we as his followers must model a righteousness that goes beyond that of the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees practiced their religion. They were very out in the open, very upfront, very uh, pointed about doing the right things and not doing the wrong things. But in the process of that, they somehow lost what was very important to God, and that was they lost the sense of people. They lost the sense that people matter, and religion has a way of marginalizing people, especially people who are hurting. So Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, now I'll read it, verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so now Jesus begins to double down for us about what that looks like. You know, I'm following the sermon that Jesus preached. And I'm pretty sure that on that hillside off of the Sea of Galilee so many years ago, Jesus wasn't worried too much about me preaching today, but I will tell you that he has given us back-to-back tough issues to preach on. Last week, adultery. This week, divorce. I'm ready for Jesus to change the sermon a little bit and say, let's just talk about how good the world is. But you see, Jesus doesn't live then nor does he now in some Pollyanna universe and refuse to deal with real issues. Jesus essentially says if you really want to live a brilliant life that reflects God's glory, this is one of the things you have to get right. You have to find the right balance between legalism and love. Matthew chapter 5, verse 31, Jesus says this. It was also said, let me just stop for a minute and make a comment about that. This formula that Jesus has been following has been, you have heard that it was said, and then he quotes something. So far, he's quoted out of the Ten Commandments. And and with that, he's establishing what their traditional teachings have been. You have heard that it was said. And then the rest of the formula is he comes back and says, but I say to you, as he fulfills, or as I have tried to say it, as he fills full the teaching from what we would call the Old Testament, he makes sure that he clarifies, this is what you have heard, but this is what I'm saying to you now. And every time this is what I'm saying to you now comes out, then he raises the bar for us. So now I read and I won't stop. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And with that, we have, well, what do we have here? Because I know that some churches and some Christian people have opted for saying to this, okay, so this means that if you go through a divorce, suddenly you are no use in the kingdom of God. Is that what Jesus is teaching here? 
We need to be careful about where we get and how we come to some of the conclusions that we get. So let's look at what Jesus is saying here, and I'm going to start off with what he's not saying here. This is not intended by Jesus to be a full-blown doctrinal position where everything is covered. As a matter of fact, if, if we wanted to get that, we should go to other places in Scripture and get the full counsel of Scripture as we try to build some kind of a doctrine. If we want to know what Jesus has to say about it, we could also go to Matthew chapter 19. We could go to Mark chapter 10. We could go to Luke chapter 16. Or we could go to what Paul has to say about divorce, Romans 7 or 1 Corinthians 7. We could go to those places if we're looking to build some kind of a fully exhaustive position on divorce. Jesus doesn't do that here. As a matter of fact, by the time we get to the end of this, I hope to show you that what Jesus is doing here is he's using their practice and helping them to see just how far away from this righteousness that they really are. I guess I would say it this way at this point in the sermon. Jesus knows that these religious leaders have used divorce as a club to beat people with. Not unlike some people in our day. Churches are full of people who feel like they are somehow not useful in God's kingdom because of their background. So let's make sure we get the context right. The point of the entire Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus is saying to us, my followers need to look like this, and he's what we need to look like. We are salt and light. We're not supposed to be that. He says we are that. That's earlier in chapter 5. That's, that's why I say, uh, entitled this whole series, that we are to be brilliant. We're not our own brilliance. It's not because we're smart. It's because we are to reflect the glory of God into the life, into the world around us. And that means that we have to live the kind of righteousness that Jesus is pushing. And so, this surpassing righteousness that it goes beyond the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus is now doubling down on in six different statements You have heard that it was said, I say to you six different times, Jesus takes the established religious position of his day and he cranks it up and he holds us to a new standard. Two primary considerations we have to consider as we come to Sermon on the Mount. What is the surpassing righteousness and how does this particular example fit his point? So he's not trying to give us in this little sermon, an exhaustive position about divorce. So I'm not going to try to do that today either. He's explaining to us by illustrating for us that this surpassing righteousness gets down into our feet and into the way we live and into the way we treat people. Maybe to help us get there, we should stop for a moment and understand a little bit about first century Jewish life and how they looked at divorce. In a nutshell, I would say it's a little bit like divorce in our day, uh, and we throw the term around a little bit. This, this is called an easy divorce. Let me just tell you, that's an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is? Some, I, I was talking about this years ago, and one of our church members, something else, like we, the only thing we learn from history is that we never learn anything from history. That's an oxymoron. I like the one that George Bernard Shaw said, uh, which is uh, never give advice. (laughs) 
So easy divorce is an oxymoron. As much today as it was in first century Jewish life, first century Jewish life, all you really had to do to get a divorce was, first of all, to be a man. Let me stop. I'm going to let that sink in. Because I'm going to show you in Scripture a little bit how that's true. You had to be a man first, but then all you really had to do was go get a certificate, make sure that there were some people to witness what was going on. Well, let me just show you. Uh, Keep your place here, but go backwards in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy chapter 24 is part of a retelling of the law. And Moses lays out for the children of Israel what this stipulation about divorce was to be. Now, if we really wanted to get what Jesus has to say in some of those other passages, uh, he'll talk about and point people back to this particular passage. Uh, But I'm not going to do all that today. I just want you to see where it it, uh, originates and how first century Jewish people looked at this, especially uh, the religious leaders. So we start chapter 24 of Deuteronomy, verse 1. And when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. Now, I'm going to stop for a second, okay? Now, we're going to continue. That's not a period there. It's a comma. So, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to continue in a minute. But I want to make sure that we fully get what verse 1 has has said for us there. First of all, notice who can give the divorce. By the the end of verse 1, the divorce is done, all right? So, who can do it? A man. Okay, what are the reasons that are allowable for a divorce? Well, it states it there. If then she finds no favor in his eyes. What does that mean? Let me keep reading. Here's the other one. Uh, Because he has found some indecency in her. What does that mean? So in first century Jewish life, the religious leaders, the rabbis, they had people who followed them, schools we call them. And so there was one rabbi who was of the, uh, not politically speaking, but just interpreting Scripture. He was of what we would call the more liberal approach. And he and his followers said that what this means is if this guy is looking at his wife and he's looking at her when some other woman walks by and the other woman causes him to go, whoa. He can say to his wife, uh, there is an indecency in you. That is, she's prettier than you are, so let's finish this marriage. That's what one school said. Let me ramp that up for you. Uh, if you still are fortunate enough to live in a family where the wife cooks breakfast in the morning. We don't need that anymore because we have McDonald's and, you know, Starbucks. And, uh, but to follow the line of thought for this particular school, the liberal school of these rabbis, uh, he would say, that rabbi would, that if your wife burns the biscuits in the morning or doesn't fix your eggs the way you want them, then that qualifies as some indecency in her, and you can divorce her for that. Sound like American society today? We have easy divorces. But the more conservative rabbis of that day, 
would have said, no, no, that's not true. That's way too liberal for us. So really what God seems to have meant here is that uh, it has to be for some kind of a sexual problem, particularly adultery. So you have one school of these Jewish rabbis saying the conservative argument, another one saying the liberal argument, and those two regularly came at Jesus and tried to get him stuck. And so they were testing him later. This is, I think, Matthew 19, if I remember right. And as they test him, they bring this deal to him. So uh, what are acceptable grounds for divorce? And here's what we need to get from Jesus. In the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he's raising the bar. If we looked at those other places, we would see that he turns the argument for them. Because what they're doing is they're looking for the outdoor. What are the acceptable grounds? Jesus turns the tables on them and takes them to the ideal. You know what the ideal is, right? It's over in Genesis chapter 2, if I remember right, where Adam has been created by God. Ladies, I know you're going to like this. Adam has been created by God. You know how the creation account goes? God created this on the first day, and Scripture says, and he looked at it, and it was good. And the second day, he created these things, and God looked at it, and he said, this was good. Day after day after day. But we get into chapter 2. That's chapter 1. Chapter 2, there's this little section there where God looks at Adam and the situation. And, okay, I'm going to put it in my terms. It's almost as if God says, man, I look at all this stuff and I've, I've done good work. But this, this Adam, something's not right with that boy. Ladies, you think, I know you've thought that about your husband. It's okay. And so God says that he has, there's no suitable helper for him. That's a whole other Bible study for us that we'll get to at some point. God causes Adam to fall into a deep sleep, and he creates Eve. And then the writer of Scripture, it's like he steps back from the story and he gives this editorial comment that just shoots over the top of society. And for this cause, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's the picture of marriage that God gives. And so in this ongoing debate, the rabbis want to get Jesus, the Pharisees want to get Jesus caught in between these two debates and Jesus, instead of picking sides, he goes to God's ideal. So let me go back to chapter 24 in Deuteronomy and finish this up now. I finished verse 1. The, uh, the divorce is final. All he had to do was give her a certificate of divorce and send her out of his house. They later would add another requirement to that. There needed to be witnesses just to make sure that the guy and his claims held up. Verse 2, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce, same lady now has been divorced twice, and puts it in her hands and sends her out of his house, where if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, now here's, here's the reason for 24, 1 through 4. Verse 4 says, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. 
for that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Let me pull all of that together and move on here. But here's the deal. Deuteronomy 24 is not written to find the reasons that you can get out of a divorce. It's written to protect the lady. He's saying in that you can't divorce her and send her on her way, and then she get divorced again, and then you bring her back in. That's what those four verses are talking about. And yet these rabbis, these schools of religionists, use that passage as a way to try to figure out this obscure part of verse 1 and and set all of the conditions that make it acceptable for divorce. I don't want you to miss what I'm saying, especially if you are one who has gone through the pain and the agony and all that comes with going through a divorce. The religionist, both first century and 21st century, love to create hoops to force people through. I had a friend. He was an undertaker. If that title is a little offensive to you, he was a mortician. If that's still a little bit too strong, he ran a funeral home. And I was talking to him. I had a lot of, lot of uh, time that I dealt with him, and we did a lot of funerals together. And uh, he got on this kick one time about his dog's. Uh, he had a Jack Russell Terrier. Now, from what I hear, Jack Russell Terriers are like half human uh, in the way they think. And the other half is uh, caffeine. <laughs> and he started talking to me about his dog and how smart his dog was and all those kind of things. And I'm going, yeah, yeah, you know, whatever. Uh, then he said, no, no, you don't understand. He said, so he started telling me about these competitions that he took his dog through. And so, all over, I mean, we were down in deep south Texas, and he would go to California and Arizona and do all these Jack Russell Terrier uh, competitions where they would lay out these things for these terriers to do, uh, you know, tasks for them to do. And, uh, and so, they would judge them accordingly. And he was talking about his dog. He won a trophy. I'm going, it's a dog, man. It's a dog. No, it's not a dog. He's a competitor. He's an athlete. He's a dog. But that picture of those dog competitions and the people in them who were just like adamant and religious about it is a great picture of the religionists of Jesus' day and ours. They just love to put hoops out there to cause people to jump through them. What is the acceptable reason to get a divorce? And they locked in on that. Jesus changes the conversation in the Sermon on the Mount. If we look again, go back with you to Matthew chapter 5. If we look at verse 32, Jesus says, you've heard in verse 31, you've heard if you're going to divorce your wife, you have to give her a certificate. But Jesus now and, and the religionists now get caught up on all of this stuff about causing who to commit adultery and all that stuff, but they're missing the point. Jesus' point in verse 32 is that when you, he's talking to men in that case because that's their society. But when you divorce a lady, there are implications and trickle-down pain for her, 
not just her, but for anybody else that she tries to build a life with after that. Here's what I think Jesus is getting at. Remember the context of the Sermon on the Mount. This is what surpassing righteousness looks like. We go back to the introduction of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is saying, congratulations to the person. And then he gives four that talk about how they love God and their relationship with God. They give another four and talk about their relationship with other people. And that umbrella reaches to these two verses. And I believe that what Jesus is saying here is there is a cost that comes with divorce. And when people, religionists especially, get locked up on how can we find a door out, then it closes the discussion on what happens to the people who are left. I still, in dealing with my son and some of those days, I look back and I think of the pain that he was going through and the pain that our whole family was going through as we hurt for him and for his daughter and for his ex-wife. We can call it easy divorce all day long. There's nothing easy about it because the impact trickles down and it hurts at deep places. Legalists like to turn Scripture to their benefit even though it comes at great cost to other people. Jesus starts with the people. And so should we. I don't think you need to think I'm saying then that that means that we ought to just jump into divorce at all. I'm not saying that. Jesus gives the ideal. He emphasizes the ideal. God created man and woman for life. Jesus is highlighting, I think, something that we need to get, and that is that there's always a personal cost to our decisions. Churches are full of people. We're full of pain. What do we do with them? Do we hit them in the head with a Bible and say, well, you know, this is what the Bible says. Whack. This is what the Bible says. Whack. Sooner or later, people quit coming to church. Because they don't feel like people care about them. They just feel like people want to preach at them. So I'll quit preaching here shortly so you don't think that. But I think if I'm going to preach, I ought to preach what Jesus is pushing. And that is that people matter. And the price that comes with a divorce in the first place is such that it ought to be the church's key intent to try to walk through the pain with those people and show them the love that Jesus gives. So I'm going to do something I haven't done in this church, but I'm going to do it today because this is it's such a pervasive thing in our society today. If you're watching by TV or maybe on one of our um, podcasts or video um, YouTube feeds, I want to let you know on TV, but also those of you who are in this church, under God, we will be the church that intends to love people through their painful situations. This church does that. I've been watching you. You should just know I've been watching you for about 10 weeks now. And one of the things that I love about First Baptist Church is that you love people. I'm going to throw myself into that now. been here two and a half months. I'm here. We love people. And if you're out there or you're in here, and you're hurting today because of a divorce in the past or maybe one that could be in the future, 
or maybe one that you're going through right now today, I want you to know that I believe what Jesus is saying to us here is that we, those of us who are his followers, who intend to be what he calls us to be, we see you in that pain, and we are committed to help you walk through it. Surviving or enduring a divorce is hard enough by itself. But you don't need religionists piling on in the process. We will help. We want to help. We'll walk with you. Now, you just need to know that as we walk with you through those things, we're always going to hold up God's ideal. We're always going to go to Scripture and say, what does it teach us here? We always want to do that. That's part of the help that's out there. We're not going to abandon you as if God somehow says, you're all of a sudden no good because of what you've gone through. It's not going to happen here. I would have said amen if I was sitting out there, but I'm not. So there you go. So here's what I've done today. I've tried to allow this passage to stand where Jesus put it. We want to have a discussion about divorce and what Scripture teaches about that. We can do that. We can go to those other passages and we can work them. We can build a position and maybe we should do that at some point. But I want to tell you that that's not Jesus' intent here. He's making an illustration of what this surpassing righteousness looks like. And surpassing righteousness loves people and recognizes them in their pain. So if you're going through a divorce and you're here today, I want you to hear me say that Jesus' heart is for you. He doesn't want you to be abandoned in the midst of all of that, whether it's someone that has just totally worked you over or you're just walking away. There's a cost in that, and Jesus says, I love you in the midst of that. There are no second-class citizens in God's kingdom. He loves you, and so do we. If you're here today and you're married and you're not in the process of divorce, uh, then live to the ideal. Understand what Jesus is saying here and go back to God's ideal for marriage and work to make it ideal for you. And then open your eyes around you and see those people who are in pain and step into life and walk through that with them. If we do that, I believe we will shine in a dark world and people's lives will be changed to the glory of God. Let's pray. And as we pray, let me just make this invitation clear to you. If you don't know Jesus Christ and the love that he can give and the life that he offers to you, I highly recommend you, uh, recommend him to you today. You, you get the choice whether you want to follow Jesus Christ or not. you the one who makes that choice. He's made the offer. It is for life. That life is not just after you die and in eternity. It is that. But it's also today. And he'll walk you through the problems of your life today, whether it's a marriage problem or something else. He will walk with you through life, and he will give you life like you can't even imagine. But you have to let him in. And this invitation time is for you to do that. If you don't know Jesus is your Savior, why don't you... Make the step today to begin the process of understanding what that means and accepting that gift. If you're here today and you're going through a marriage struggle, Jesus loves you. We love you. 
And this invitation time may well be for you, just you and God, to make the determination, how am I going to approach this as I go forward? Whatever it is, Father, we ask that you would change lives, that you would meet people where they are, that they would hear your voice clearly, that you would change lives for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Time of invitation.